Good morning, and welcome to our sermon for this fifth Sunday after Epiphany. Our gospel reading for today comes from Matthew chapter 5, starting with verse 13. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything, but it's thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hid. No one after lighting a lamp puts it under a bushel basket, but on a light stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come not to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth have passed away, not one letter, not one stroke of a letter will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Here ends our gospel. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In today's gospel, Jesus says that we are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Now I wanna be clear, Jesus doesn't say that we are like salt or that we should be like light. It's not an analogy. He says we literally are those things. You are the salt of the earth, and you are the light of the world. So what does that mean? Now, I really enjoy learning things, particularly about nature and science. And so I thought it was fun to look up and see what light and salt are defined as. So salt is a compound that's composed of two ions, a positively charged ion and a negatively charged ion. They attract together and form a strong bond, giving salts a hard and brittle crystalline structure. The most common, commonly known salt is sodium chloride, or table salt. Sodium chloride is one of the most stable compounds on Earth. Its chemical makeup is such that it literally cannot lose its saltiness and still be regarded as salt. It's the essence of what makes it. And like salt, as Christians, our makeup is such that we cannot disconnect our faith from our life without becoming something that isn't Christian anymore. Without living out your faith, you become something that isn't a follower of God. Light is defined as the natural agent that stimulates sight and makes things visible. Seems kind of important. And in the Gospel of John, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. But here the author of Matthew shares that Jesus said, you are the light of the world. You are literally the light that shines in the darkness and points others to God, allowing God to be seen. So what happens when we put something over light? It's like that song, children's song, that goes, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. 
and on. But then there's that one verse that goes, hide it under a bushel. No, I'm gonna let it shine. Because when we hide it under something, that light disappears. And it does nothing to help us find our way. But a light that's out for all to see, that's something amazing. No matter how dense the dark is, the light can permeate through. Like a city on a hill, or even just in the middle of a rural area, it lights up the night sky. And what do light and salt have anything to do with each other? Why does Jesus put these two things together? And what do these elements tell us? How might they speak into our roles as the body of Christ? What happens when you put salt in one spot? It gets super salty, right? Or how about if you only use one candle in a dark, vast room? It's really dim. But imagine with me for a moment. What happens when we spread out that salt and the light? What if the whole dish gets a little salt rather than one spot, one morsel? Or, you know, like if the whole road gets salted instead of just the sidewalk? Or what if we used hundreds of candles all around the room instead of one big one? When we can spread what we have around, the essence of our being, it spreads further. It reaches wider than we could ever imagine. We spread the salt and the light when we follow the commandments and share God's love in the world. When we shy away from these obligations, we're not following what God has commanded. So as you noticed, it's snowing outside today. And it was supposed to be a milestone day and our second graders were gonna walk around and they're gonna do this in a couple of weeks. So uh, now you'll be prepared. So our second graders are gonna walk around and ask people about the Ten Commandments. Each year, our second grade classes learn about the Ten Commandments and what it means to follow them. They're gonna test our knowledge. Our goal in teaching the Ten Commandments is not simply to memorize them, but also to learn how to live them out in everyday lives. This can be really hard. I mean, there are a few commandments that seem pretty easy to understand. You shall have no other gods, remember the Sabbath. There are some commands that are really easy to follow, like don't steal or don't murder. But then there are also some others that are easy to understand, but sometimes really hard to follow. I'm thinking in particular of the Eighth Commandment, which is, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. Now, Luther says that this commandment means that we should fear and love God so that we do not tell lies about our neighbor, betray him, slander him, or hurt his reputation, but defend him, speak well of him, and explain everything in the kindest way. It's about gossip, not talking about others unless it's to uplift them, always giving the benefit of the doubt. That's hard. I'm not just talking about mean pettiness. This is something we say across our entire world, bringing others down, not giving others the benefit of the doubt, speaking ill of those whose views oppose your own. 
Or what about those two commandments about coveting? You know, because like nine and 10 kind of mixed together. How many of you compare the life you have or the house you have or the things that you have with what your neighbor does? Sometimes we confuse following the commandments with the promise of grace that we receive through faith and baptism. We share God's love by following the commandments, but we don't earn God's grace by doing these good works. That doesn't mean we shouldn't follow them. At baptism, the words of this reading in Matthew are often spoken over the baptized. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Dr. Eric Barreto from Princeton Seminary says about this, our good works are not ours in that they do not belong to us, for we are not the source of such good works. We are only the conduits of God's righteousness, symbols pointing to a greater reality, signposts lighting the way to God's righteousness, not our own. Yes, we may serve as the light of the world, but the conduit of glory for such light is not us or our achievements. That glory belongs to your Father in heaven. This is such a great explanation for me. What we do as people of God and the body of Christ is not to show off all the things that we can do or puff ourselves up. Good works are the goodness of God with us serving as a connection between God and all the earth. Dr. Barreto continues on to say that in verse 19, that a rank of sorts in the kingdom of heaven depends on whether we live and teach the commandments or whether we reject and teach others to reject the commandments. Again, this is not a call to mere moralism, but a call to a life of trust in God. If we trust God's promises, if we stand grateful for God's actions, then we will bend our lives toward the life-giving ways God has called us to follow. Breaking a commandment is not just breaking a rule. It is denying the promises and actions of God. Teaching others to do the same is not just leading them astray, but to forming their very being as children of God, whose promises and liberates... Okay, I'm gonna go back. Teaching others to do the same is not just leading them astray, but deforming their very being as children of a God who promises and liberates and teaches us how to live towards abundant life. In the first reading, which we didn't read, but I'll put them underneath in the description for this sermon. So in that first reading, the prophet Isaiah speaks to the people of Israel and calls them out on trying to win God's favor. Praise, prayer, and fasting are all cherished, not as gifts that nurture. Are, as, so praise, prayer, and fasting are cherished, not as gifts that nurture the covenantal relationship, but as techniques that they use to draw attention to God through their own accord. According to Isaiah, that is why they spend so much time in worship. They fast so God will see them. They humble themselves so God will notice. They get so caught up in the obsession of the right kind of worship, they forget that God calls us into a life of justice. 
sharing God's love with all the world, even if we don't like them. Our actions of faith through word and deed and worship are important, but it's not what God is truly concerned about, especially if we're just trying to prove ourselves better than others. What is truly important is the transformative power of living into our identity as the light and the salt of Christ for all the world. God is not concerned with who will do the most. God is only concerned that we act as conduits of God's love and grace. Because like salt and light, we need to spread God's love and grace all around. Because we are the body of Christ, and it's our mission to share God's creative and redeeming love with all the world. Amen.